Well, good morning, Southside. I'm Brandon Moore, the spiritual formation pastor. And uh, also, you might know from the last time I did a sermon, I've become like the remote preacher or the uh, preacher that's sent out to different places. Uh, Corey had this idea about a month ago. He said, uh, your, your sermon at your grandma's is a good idea. So why don't you do one while you're fishing? I know you love to fish. So why don't you do a sermon while you're fishing? I thought it was a good idea. And more importantly, Brooks thought it was a good idea. And uh, you know me. I mean, if somebody's like, hey, for your job, we want you to go fishing. Uh, um, I'm on board. He was hoping that I'd uh, cast cast and catch a few fish and he could kind of fast forward through the fishing part and watch me catching some fish. Uh, but the truth is, I'm at one of my favorite fishing holes. It is somewhere. And it's one of my favorite fishing holes. And there has been torrential rain for days. And it is uh, just not what it should be for fishing. And so I've been fishing for a couple days and have yet to catch a fish. And sometimes that's how it goes. Kim's uncle is actually a professional fisherman. Uh, that's my wife is Kim. Her uncle's professional fisherman. That's the best way to describe what he does. He takes guided trips and he owns a fishing company and uh, he does a lot with fishing. And I remember one day he took me out on his fishing boat just, just for the joy, just to bless me. And uh, we spent a few hours out there on the cool river on a hot day like today. It's very hot today, almost 90. And uh, we were fishing the whole time and I caught, I don't know, probably six or seven over a few hours. And finally, I said, after we'd been in the boat, I said, why don't you go ahead and fish with me? And he said, no, 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 this is for you. And I said, no, no, I want to see you fish too. And uh, finally, he was convinced. He said, okay. So he grabbed his rig and he put on his setup and he uh, tossed it out. And sure enough, I mean, it had barely hit the water. And he had a bite, just hooked, da 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 And I was like, are you kidding me? You've got to be joking me. And he reels it in. I said, your first cast? I said, it took you one cast to catch one fish? And he said, no, that one fish cost me nearly 10,000 casts. I thought that's a good point. It's not that uh, that one fish took that many casts. It's that he had spent a whole lifetime fishing and casting and in that hole and in that spot we were at. He knew the routine. It wasn't something he was just born with or it was natural. Maybe there's a little bit of that, but more than that, it was something he had practiced time and time again. He had developed over an entire lifetime. We're in this sermon series called Unsung, where we're talking about normal everyday life. We're talking about tasks like fishing and making our bed, washing our hands, just the small tasks. Brooks talked last week on Mother's Day about the faith of, of Timothy's grandma and mother and just the small, routine, relentless faith of them that bore that faith into Timothy. We were down here fishing. The question was kind of what passage are you going to use? I mean, there's so many with fishing analogies. We could do the one where we uh, toss the nets on the other side of the boat, if you remember that one, or, or many of the other fishing analogies where Jesus walks on the water to them while they're in the boat or where the, the apostles leave their nets and they come to follow Jesus. But I had one in mind, actually, one that's a little different than those from John chapter 6. You turn with me, John chapter 6. And I will have you go ahead and turn in your Bibles wherever you're at. Uh, maybe you're watching this while you're fishing today. If so, uh, I hope you catch one and turn to John 6. In John 6, chapter verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. 
that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great, great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves. He gave thanks. And he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. I love that story. There's so much there, right? It's such a loaded passage. Why does, why does Jesus, even though he already knows what he's going to do, why does he test Philip? What's he trying to teach Philip through this time? I, I love the abundance of God. It's not just that he fed the whole multitude. It's that he fed them with so much abundance that there was actually fish and loaves left over. And being a, a good boy for mama, right? He uh, packed up all those leftovers to save for another day. But as I was thinking about this passage more this week, there's a, there's a little thing that caught my attention in here. There is a small boy, a young man, with two fish with five barley loaves and two small fish. I just kept thinking, where do those come from? Where did the loaves come from? They weren't just magically there. And I doubt that young man made them. Probably his mother, maybe his sister, maybe one of the servants in his household. I don't know who it was in rural, rural Galilee. It was probably his mom or his grandma that had, through her entire life, mastered the process of making bread and so there was a boy with loaves of bread ready to be eaten but there was something else well just the loaves of bread right it was the two fish somebody had caught those fish now i've proved anything over the last couple of days it's that that isn't necessarily an easy task but somebody had devoted a lifetime probably to catching fish they knew where they were and they how to cast their nets to catch them. I don't know, maybe it was the young man, maybe not. Maybe his father or his grandfather, or maybe he had bought them in the shop in the local village from one of the fishermen that worked his whole life there, had saved up to buy his own boat. I don't know who it was that caught those fish. Actually, we don't know at all, do we? It never says. Actually, they're forgotten in this story. They're not named. Even the young boy himself is not named in this story. And yet, one of the great miracles of abundance in all of Jesus's miraculous events happens because there were five loaves and two fish ready to be eaten. Could Jesus have just made the food on his own? Of course he could. But I think he's teaching us something, don't you? 
God can use the small in our lives, the ordinary tasks of making bread and catching fish to do something huge and miraculous. In fact, it's often when we realize it's often in the tiny little times that God really does something huge and amazing. We come alongside him, we pair with him, we join with him, we become ready and able, not looking for the big, magnificent thing. That's what the crowds wanted. They wanted the big test, the big sign, right? They wanted the big thing. And Jesus, Jesus won't give him to them. Instead, he sits them down in the green grass and he feeds them from just the small loaves and the small fish. What are the small loaves and the small fish in your life? What are the little tasks of the kingdom that are so important that you don't even know what God might do with? Maybe you think that your day-to-day work isn't important. It's not kingdom stuff. Or maybe you think that blessing your children with another peanut butter and jelly on another morning where you don't want to make one, the same exact thing of the routine. You know, I'm not, I'm not great at a lot of things, obviously not fishing, but one of the things I'm great at at this point is making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I can do them quick, efficiently, and wonderfully. Why? Because every day my children want for breakfast peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's a little thing. I don't know what God's going to do with that. Maybe it's in 30 years my kids will remember those peanut butter and jellies and think of me and their time with dad where we then read scripture together. I don't know. I don't know. What's the small things in your life that you're doing? But there's more here than just that. Maybe that's the, the surface level of this text. God can pair with you in the small and the tedious to do extraordinary miracles. That's important for us to remember. But there's something else that happens here. If you go on just a little further in this text, as most people don't, we usually end in verse 13, but actually it goes on. Look at this. In verse 14, after the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. So the great multitude sees the sign that he's performing, this feeding, this abundant feeding. And think about what they're thinking. They're all sitting in the green grass, which means it's spring. Spring, usually in the Middle Eastern world, denoted wartime. It was the time where the kings would go to battle, if you study your Old Testament. And that little note about green grass, it's telling us something. It's that these people have been collected. According to the Gospels, actually, it... it did you notice also it numbers men, specifically men had been there, okay? And, the, and they're set in these different groupings, okay? What does that sound like? Well, the green grass was when kings went to war in the Old Testament. And the apostles had been sent out right previous to this text to go into the towns and declare that the kingdom of God has arrived. Now, if you are a follower of Judaism during this time, you believe the kingdom of God comes with it in overthrow of the Roman Empire. This great and glorious, magnificent thing that will happen. And so the crowd in verse 14 says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, they get confirmed. He does the sign after they all come together and they're like, well, we want to see, we want to see what's happening. They all come together. Jesus performed. They begin to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. And some of the other gospel accounts, they say, this is the king who has come into the world. Jesus, in verse 15, 
knowing, John's already told us, Jesus knows in the heart of man everything. But Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, Jesus knows what's going to happen. They don't want him just taking small loaves and small fish and feeding a multitude. They've seen his power. They know what he can accomplish. What they want is a great and glorious, magnificent victory over the Romans to establish the rightful king again in Jerusalem. And they will put the, thr the throne upon his head and they will be glorified as the Jewish people again. And Jesus knew that that's what they were going to do. 5,000 men were ready to serve. That's what he knew. That's what they were going to do. And listen to what he does. What would you have done? Before we go on, you had a whole crowd of people, 5,000 people that came to you. So we want to elect you the next president. All right, it would take a lot more than that, but I think the picture is there. You have this whole crowd of people that come to you. We want you to be the next mayor. We want you to be the next governor. We want you to be the next king. You'll get all the power and all the authority. We trust in you and your might. What would you do, honestly? What does Jesus do? Jesus, knowing that they had intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. See, the question as we dig a little deeper into this text, the point is made very clearly by John. The question is not, will you do great and miraculous things for God? It's rather, would you be forgotten for God? Would you give over your personal desires for fame, for fortune, for wealth, would you give over your personal claim to glory in order that God might be glorified? John, time and a time and time again, shows us throughout his account of the gospel that Jesus chooses to be forgotten that the Father might be glorified. A few years ago, as you can see, I like to fish. I like to hunt. I love to do anything outside. And in our early 20s, as many of you know, my wife and I moved out to Montana, the great mecca of the outdoors. And I dove in headfirst. Any outdoor, outdoor activity that you could think of, I dove into. And hunting was my favorite of all of them. And I would spend all September and all October and November, every chance I could get, out hunting. I would talk to everybody I knew about hunting. I would bring people hunting with me. I would beg to go hunting with other people. I was just, that was just part of it. And I, I was loving it. And I guess what? I got really good at it. Uh, successful where other people would even say about him. I don't know. Go talk to him. He knows what he's doing when he's hunting. And then something happened one day. I was playing basketball with my group of friends that we played together all the week. And there was a new guy that was there that had just been brought on staff as one of the pastors at one of the local churches. And my friend was introducing me and he said about me, he said, this is Brandon. He's one of the best hunters I know. You should get to know him. And I thought for a minute, wow, that's glorious. That's awesome. Fame, fortune, wealth. Okay, fortune and wealth, no, but maybe a little bit of fame, right? But then it confronted me. That's not what I want to be known for. 
That's not the person that I want to be recognized and acknowledged for. Really, at the core of my identity, who I want my identity to be is wrapped up entirely in Jesus. I want people to say about me, not that he's a great hunter or he's a great fisherman or he's a great outdoorsman, but I really want people to say, you know what about Brandon? He is so in love with God. Any task that you ask him to do on behalf of the kingdom of God, he jumps in because he's so in love with God. Would I be forgotten? Would I turn over the core of my identity? Would I give it all so that God may be glorified? I know, it seems like this big task and and how do you do it? How do you practically in day-to-day lives? Well, I wanna say first it starts with the waters of baptism. If you haven't confessed your sins to Jesus and be baptized in a great stream like this or the baptistry at the church, that's the first step in giving over your identity. You say, God, the old me is dead and the new me has been born. But the second thing is what the crowds were supposed to come for. They weren't supposed to come to enthrone him as king. Jesus wanted the crowds there. He did. Why? So that they would listen to the principles of the kingdom of God. Do you come come asking Jesus to do something for you when you come to Jesus? Or do you come to Jesus to say, I'm receptive. I'm listening. I'm attentive. Teach me. It had to have been hard, I think, about that story about them casting the nets on the other side of the boat, right? It had to have been hard for a couple of fishermen to take advice from a carpenter when it came to fishing. But they learned something about Jesus. If they give over their identity, if they they toss their nets aside, if they give up everything, that he would bless them beyond abundance. And that's the story here, too. Will you give over your identity? Listen to the Lord. Maybe be baptized in water. Or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's something you didn't even know he was going to do something great and glorious with. Maybe it's just a father, a mother, grandfather or grandmother making loaves one day and catching a couple fish.